If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. Come to this section, which continues a lot of the subject matter from last week's sermon, but with a slightly different emphasis. Be reading Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 1 through 13. This is God's word. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, as the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we trust in your word and your guidance. Heavenly Son, we look to your redemption and our access to God. Heavenly Spirit, we trust your work in our hearts to make your word understandable and applicable that we might grow more and more into the image of the Heavenly Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So what is rest? The word Sabbath just means to cease, to stop, but is that what rest is? To just not be doing work? Is rest just turning your brain off for a few hours? Is rest just a vacation? We just had our men's retreat the last couple days, and there were some people who were resting until one or two in the morning. Is that what rest is? There's also a lot of places that, that offer us rest. Oh, you just need a vacation. 
Oh, you just need a day off. Or you just need a little bit more margin in your life between work and play. Or you just need more play. That's what rest is. What is rest? This passage continues the thoughts from the last few verses in chapter 3 that we're talking and quoting this, this psalm that itself speaks of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and their arrival or failure to arrive in the promised land. They did not get this rest. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews continues this thought because he is so eager for his hearers to not be like that. He wants them to obtain this rest. And he's making the point that there is still a Sabbath rest. There is still a rest for the people of God that is accomplished by God, but is obtained by faith. So we're going to ask and answer several questions this morning. What is God's rest? How is it that we enter it? Who can enter God's rest? And what do we do with that now, today? What is God's rest? Who can enter it? And what now? And the first thing we see is that this this passage, as it's trying to answer what God's rest is, it picks up on this story that Psalm 95 is quoting, but it's, it's, it's referencing the story that happened back in Numbers 13 and 14. As the Israelites had left Egypt, and they were approaching the promised land, and they sent these spies in, and everything God said about the land was true. It was bountiful and abundant and flowing with milk and honey, but there were some scary people that lived there. And so they were afraid, and they, they didn't trust that God would do what he said he did to hand that, over to, that land over to them. And so they turned back in disobedience. Only Joshua and Caleb believed. And as a result, God said, you will wander for 40 years. And so they failed to enter that rest. And throughout those, those stories in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and, and even into Joshua, this idea of rest is this idea of completeness of wholeness, of, of work being finished, the labor of, of being on this pilgrimage from Egypt, this labor of having to fend off enemies, of having to gather manna, of having to walk miles and miles through the wilderness. This labor will be completed and done and finished, and we will have shalom, this whole, complete, perfect peace in a home that is safe and secure. And that's the, the image that's portrayed as the Israelites are seeking this rest. They're trying to achieve that. And that happens in, in numbers and, and, and is finally completed in, through Joshua. But Psalm 95 was written by David years, hundreds of years after they had already done that, after they had already entered the promised land. And he is saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts so that you may enter his rest. So it can't, this rest of God can't be talking about the promised land, because why would David be offering it again hundreds of years later? And then again, Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, and he even explicitly says, if, if Joshua failed to get this rest, then God is offering it again. And it's so this offer is still made for the people of God. It was up for the Israelites 
and they failed and had to wander. It was up for those in David's day, and they still did not fully achieve that rest. And the author of Hebrews is saying, today, years, hundreds of years after, after this rest was offered to the Israelites, decades, we don't know exactly when Hebrews was written, but decades after Jesus is resurrected, this rest is still offered to you. So what is this rest? And the author of Hebrews does something interesting here. He kind of, he kind of uh, goes back to a prequel. I know prequels kind of have a bad name because a lot of times it's just a cash grab by a studio or by author like, hey, people love this story. I'm just going to write all the stuff that happened before. But a well-done prequel tells you where everything started to orient you and point you to where things are going. And so the author of Hebrews goes back to the beginning, and he quotes from Genesis 2. I love the way that he quotes. He just sees somewhere written, like you guys know this passage. Genesis 2, it says that God has rested from all his works on the seventh day. And if you noticed earlier when we read that passage, the sixth day had a morning and even evening. But the seventh day did not. The seventh day began, but it did not end. Because the Sabbath rest of God from creation is still happening today. In this sense, the Sabbath rest of God from creation is the archetype of all rest that happens from now until the end of days. God who worked creation, as, as, as it says, as it, excuse me, as um, the quote from Augustine said that God who worked creation nonstop for six days rested. That rest is the archetype for all rest that comes after. He completed his work perfectly. He did the, everything that needed to be done. And then he rested. And he did so, if you noticed, he put Adam, he put the man in the garden. He was in perfect harmony and in communion with his creation and with his people. And so he established this day of rest. And so the Hebrew Sabbath, and even our Sabbath today, is just a, a little bit of a reminder, just a regular repeating, pointing back to that perfect, completed work, and a reminder of what we should be seeking, this communion and harmony with God. But even this, this Sabbath rest of God in creation, is not the rest that the author of Hebrews is offering to his hearers. It's not the rest that is offered when it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden his hearts. The rest is something that will only come when all of God's redemptive work is completed, when all things are finally and fully come to their fruition, when all things on all history, when all judgment is enacted, when all evil is overcome, and when God himself is with us. We see a picture of this, the very end of Scripture, Revelation 21, where it says, I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
for the former things have passed away. The toils and the labor and the work and the difficulty and the struggle and the pain and the conflict and the sin and the evil will be gone. God himself will wipe it away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is the rest that God offers for his people. A full, final, eternal, complete rest where all that is evil and wrong and painful and hurting is wiped away. It's why later in Hebrews, talking about those who had faith in God, it says that they longed for a better country that is a heavenly one. Or they longed for a city that has foundation whose designer and builder is God. This is the ultimate Sabbath rest for the people of God. And Maybe you're here. I'm, I'm not even going to say maybe. If you're here, you need rest. Maybe some of you feel the need for rest acutely. Maybe it's just the normal tedium of jobs and schoolwork, caring for kids, going about your life, paying bills, and you just, you just need rest. Maybe you need rest from something more, more difficult. Maybe it's an illness that you've been struggling with for a long time. Maybe you're caring for someone with an illness and you've been doing so for a long time. Maybe you're in conflict with someone close to you and it's just tearing you apart. Maybe you've got a struggle or an addiction or something that you're hiding and you just want relief from it. There is rest coming. God has a rest from all the toil and difficulty where evil is done, where he will wipe away every tear and where he will be with us. And the best part is not just that God does this, but that he wants us to have this. He's not like, hey, it's over there if you want to get it. He wants us to have this, and he works it for us, and he, he seeks it for us. It's not like some parents, I'm sure, this morning, whose kids were not aware that the daylight savings changed. And it, when the kids woke up an hour early, maybe uh, yelled into the room, please rest. It's not like that. We're just saying, please do this. It's more like when your kid wakes up in the middle of the night, and they're coughing or they're sick, and you go in, and you kneel by their bed, and you rub their head, and say, please rest. He wants this rest for us. How do we get it? How are we supposed to enter this rest? Who, who can even get to that place? Who can enter God's rest? How do we get there? The answer is simple. It's faith. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It says, we who have believed enter that rest. It talks about how they heard the good news, but it was not of benefit for them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The simple answer is faith is how you enter this rest. You got to hear the truth of God. You have to hear his promises. You have to hear his word. Yes, but you also have to believe them. It's not like when you're following the GPS on the road and it says, take this route. And you're like, Psh, I know better than that. And then you take that route and you run into 
an accident or traffic or something like. You thought you knew better, but there was a path instead. It's not just hearing, but it is obeying. Sometimes we're like the Israelites in that we've heard, but we don't trust. We don't believe. We're not united by faith with those who listened. It's talking about Joshua and Caleb there. They listened. They heard the same promises that all the other Israelites heard. But Joshua and Caleb listened. Their faith was united with, their, their hearing was united with faith, which resulted in obedience. We've heard the same good news. We've heard even better news because we know the one who was still to come, Jesus, and what he has done for us. But do we trust it? Do we have faith in him? See, they had the promise of this land of rest and plenty. We have the promise of eternal fellowship and glory. And just like their rest that was still to come, they could not quite see it yet. We cannot fully see the rest either. We're in a very similar situation. The whole fact that the the author of Hebrews brings up this issue means that he thinks his hearers are still in the wilderness, just like the Israelites. They have not yet arrived. They're still in this same place. But it was not dependent on them to get to the promised land. God promised to give it to them. In the same way, it's not dependent on us to get to that eternal rest where he wipes away every tear. God is working it for us, has worked it for us. Just like the the Genesis Sabbath rest, which was predicated on God's completed work of creation, this rest of God, this eternal Sabbath rest for his people, is predicated on his completed work of recreation in his people. It's not Moses that did it. It's not Joshua that does it. He explicitly says that. But it's someone greater. And it's interesting, if you take the, the Hebrew word for Joshua, Yeshua, and you translate it into Greek, and then you translate it into English, you get Jesus. It's the same, it's the same name. We have the greater Joshua. Joshua, who he tried really hard to get the Israelites into that rest. And they, they did much of what God said, but even he did not fully complete the work. There was a greater rest to come. And the greater Joshua... He, on the other hand, he worked for his people, and he is bringing them fully and completely the Sabbath rest for God's people. He came to the earth, even though he was the form of God, he gave that up. He he took on the form of a servant as a baby. He lived as a baby, as a baby. The second person of the Trinity worked living as a baby, He grew up. He had to learn how to walk. He had to use the bathroom. He had to be hungry. He hurt himself. He cried. He was so tired that he fell asleep on a boat in the middle of a storm. He knows what it means to work and to strive. He went to the cross that he did not deserve and was beaten and carried that cross and was nailed to it and died. He did all of that work, and he completed it, and was raised from the dead so that we could have his rest by trusting in him. And we get a small taste of that rest by trusting in him now. 
It's not that you trust in Jesus and all of a sudden you're just relaxed for the rest of your life. But you do get a taste of that peace and that rest when you come to faith in him. And so Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. It is so easy to hear the promises of God and harden our hearts, to resist them, to push back on them, to say, okay, yes, 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 but you don't know my life and what I need to get done. You don't know this this struggle that I am wrestling with. You don't know this, this situation that I'm in. You don't know my job and what I have to deal with. And so we push back on the promises of God. Or you can say, well, I mean, the rest sounds good and all, but man, if I just had a little bit of more money, then I think I could really rest. That sounds a little bit more achievable for me. Or if, if we could just elect the right people, then we'd be at peace and everything would be okay. Or if I could just uh, get the right, the right habits going and the right workout routine and diet, then I, then I could finally be at peace. And so we push back on this promise of God and harden our hearts towards his word and what he is offering us. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It says, let us fear. Not be scared, but, but fear God as who he is and his authority and, and take him at his word that he is offering us rest. So if God has a rest for his people and we must enter it by faith, what does that mean for us now? What do we do now? If we can't do anything to achieve this rest, then, then what are we, are we supposed just to sit here? What, what do we do? The author of Hebrews says, let us strive to enter that rest. Which sounds a little weird. <laughs> You're, you're, it's only by faith, but we're supposed to strive to enter it. It's, it's, it's difficult to understand sometimes. It's not, it's not an effort in, in getting it. It's endeavoring to believe. It's, an, it's, a, it's a reminding and an encouraging and a preparing for this rest. The image here is of the Israelites as they leave Exodus. They're still walking, but as they're, they're walking and they're traveling to the promised land, they're getting ready. Okay, we're going to go in and we're going to set up our tents and we're going to have this pasture. They're preparing for this. They're mentally looking forward to it. They're getting their supplies ready to, to go in. The, the soldiers are gathering their weapons to make ready to, to clear out the Canaanites that they're there. And as they're getting closer and closer, they're expecting God. All right, here's where God's going to do the work to give us this rest. He promised it. It's coming. And they're, they're striving, but they're not achieving that rest. In the same way, we are looking forward to that rest. We are preparing for that rest. We are striving for it, but we're not purchasing it for ourselves. This is why Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or where he says that, that I press on to make these things my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so he appoints a certain day today. Maybe you're here, and this is the first you're hearing of it, or you're hearing it anew for the first time, and you don't believe, you don't trust. If you're here, today is the day. He's offering a day, not just any day, not someday in the future. He appoints a certain day today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
Maybe you've heard all this before. Maybe there's a bunch of these, all these repeated warnings are like, okay, yeah, I've heard all that before. But the fact that it's repeated so many times that he takes almost two full chapters to talk about this should be a, a bit of a vector check for us, a bit of a gut check that we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe I should pay more attention to this because it can be very easy to fall into complacency. But if this were not important, if this were not relevant for God's people, because this, this book is not written to those outside the faith. This book is written to those who believe. If this were irrelevant for God's people, he would not be offering this warning. He would not be making this invitation. Do not grow complacent. Do not harden your hearts. How do we keep from doing that? One primary way is by being in community with other people who are, who are striving to enter the same rest. It's, it's subtle, but there's a couple verses where he says, lest any of you fail to enter this rest, or so that no one may fail. And he's talking, about, talking to the whole group, and he's saying, you as a group, it is your mutual corporate covenant responsibility to help each other strive to enter this rest, to remind one another, to speak God's words into each other's lives, to point one another in the midst of difficulty, to just sit with one another when you are laboring, when you're in that painful situation, when you feel acutely that you are in the wilderness, to be with one another and to point one another to this rest. Another way is to hear maybe to hear often or to hear anew his voice, which the, the latter part of this chapter points to as being living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That this voice of God, his word, is not painless. But it is good. It's not, it's not like a, a sword that, that, that kills necessarily, but it can be like a scalpel that cuts for healing. Because we can deceive ourselves. We can, we can deceive others. We cannot deceive God. And we cannot hide from his truth. And so we should seek to hear his voice, to hear it on Sunday morning, to hear it in our own readings, to hear it maybe in the discipleship program if someone else is reading it, to meditate on it. It's not about, I just need, if I can just read the whole Bible, that will be enough. The idea, the image here is of a repeated, continual, over time, listening to his voice. What else can we do? We can take the Sabbath seriously. We've got a culture that is just hell-bent on making us work for ourselves. To just, if, you can just, if you can just give a little bit more effort, if you can just do a little bit more, if you can just work a little bit harder, if you can just figure out the right technique to make this happen, then you will get rest. And God says, no. I am God. I am the only one who can work the entirety of creation. I am the only one who upholds it by the word of my power. I am the only one in whom all things hold together. You can take a break. I'm giving you one day a week to remind you that you're not God, that you are a human that I created who needs rest. 
Maybe this makes time, means you need to take time to prepare for the Sabbath. Students, you get your homework done on Saturday. Adults, you don't say, oh, I'll, just, I'll take care of that Sunday evening. But you prepare and you get stuff done in advance. Maybe at time means you need to schedule and fill it, not, not for the sake of business, but fill it with good and life-giving things. We're going to have people over so that we can enjoy the company of others who believe and can, we can point each other to this rest. Maybe it means scheduling a nap because you need a nap. But take the Sabbath seriously. It's a, it's a regular reminder of this rest that is to come. It's a regular reminder that we aren't going to get there on our own. So there is still a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But it's not accomplished by you or me. It's accomplished by him. And he gives it to his people. And he wants us to have it. And all we need is to trust in him. To trust just as he completed the work of creation and looked at it and saw that it was very good and then rested. So too, his son completed the work of recreation, of redemption for his people. And so God looks at us who are united to him and sees very good and wants us to enter his rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would come to your son, that we would rest in him and all that he's done for us, that we would lay our burdens down, that we would not delude ourselves into thinking we can find rest other places or that we can achieve rest ourselves, but we would look to you and to you alone to provide this rest for us. Help us in this. We're weak and we're frail, and yet we still think we can do it on our own. Remind us of your power and your care and your compassion for us. Remind us of your Son and his completed work on our behalf. We ask this in his name. Amen. You can stand and join your voices together as we prepare to come.